before we really launch into this, uh, looking at this text more in depth, um, I just want to think about fairy tales for a moment. Fairy tales have captivated us for years. Who likes a good fairy tale story? Don't lie. Don't be embarrassed. Okay. I have three girls. I know all the fairy tale stories. I know all the princesses um, and all those Disney characters. Um, And these stories are slightly different, but they're kind of the same, right? At the end of the day, there's a Prince Charming that comes in and sweeps the princess off their feet. And you know how the story always ends. And they live happily ever after. Yeah, you guys, see, you watch fairy tales. Um, These stories, though, they paint a seemingly ideal picture of what love looks like. The problem is, you and I know, that these stories aren't true. They're fairy tales. The princesses, Snow White, Cinderella, Ariel, you can name them all. They're figments of our imagination. They're characters that were created, but yet they captivate us because we look at these stories and we say, I want to experience that. That's what I want my life to be like. That's what I want to feel in life. And they catch our attention because deep down we all want to experience love. To have someone long for us, to desire us in that way, to, to climb the hills and the mountains and to go out of their way to, to win our love for them. But we know life is not a two-hour movie that ends happily ever after. They get two hours in that movie, roughly, and they always show the good parts. It always ends the same way. And yet here we are in life, and we are captivated by those stories because we're searching for love, and we search for love in our marriages, We search for love in our parent-child relationships, in certain friendships that we have. Maybe people have failed us, and so we turn our attention and we focus our attention and search for love in things that are not good for us, drugs and alcohol, addictions, pornography, food. You could put any number of things in there. Maybe it's your work. And we fill our lives with all of these things and we pursue after them all with the desire to feel valued and loved. To feel worth. Love can be a difficult thing to find. It, it's something sometimes that just seems like it's always slipping through our grasp. We just can't hold on to it. And we grasp at things in this world that leave us not feeling love, but actually feeling empty, feeling unsatisfied, feeling like we, we just think there's got to be something more. But this morning, there is a love. There is a love that runs deep and that can satisfy the God-given desires of our heart. I think we see that in the Song of Songs. 
Unfortunately, we don't spend a whole lot of time either corporately or individually in the Song of Songs. Yes, it's not a simple flowing story about Jesus' life and what he's doing, and it's not maybe a well-organized, thought-out epistle that we just can understand the theology in those passages. But I think once you begin to understand the characters in this song, understand the flow of it, feel what is taking place, you'll realize that it is rich with emotion and it's relevant for your life. Well, wherever you're at right now, this is not, we'll talk about this, it's not a series for couples. This song is relevant for you right where you're at. And before we really dive into this book, we, we need to stop and consider what we're reading. And I mean beyond the Song of Songs. We are reading God's Word. I didn't write this song. You didn't write this song. This is God's Word to us through King Solomon. This is a, as God's Word, this is a book of theology. Sometimes we think of theology and we think, Oh, I, I don't really like theology. That's a big word. I don't quite understand it. Here's what theology means. It comes from the Greek word theos, which is God. It is the study of God. That's what God's word is first and foremost. And while all theology is practical to life, we don't approach Scripture with a me mindset. A meology. This is not a book about me. It's not a book about you, although it explains some things about us. This is first and foremost a book about God. God is revealing himself to us. This is foundational as you read your Bible throughout the week, as we come to our sermon time here on Sunday. And too often, I said, we have a me-centered mindset when we come to Scripture. You say, what, what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. Too often, our first questions when we come to God's Word are this. What can I get out of this? Or, how can this better my life today, this week? How can this help me in the things that I need to do? But Scripture is His story. It's revelation about God to us. John chapter 1 tells us that the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we say, well, that's Jesus. He is the living Word. But think about what that verse says. And we beheld His glory. God gives us Jesus. The Word became flesh so that we could see his glory. And the written word is the same way. We come to the written word, not so that we can feel better about ourselves or be helped in our own lives, but we come to the written word so that we can see his glory. It's about him. To see him, to know him. So, so when we come to God's word, 
We come to God's word recognizing that this is not a therapeutic message. This is not a social message. This is not a moral message. It is first and foremost a theological message that speaks to social problems. That does give us help in life. And that does show us good morals. But I think if we, if we start to focus on those things before we focus on what is this showing me about God and his glory, we're going to start to deviate. We're going to start to miss the point of what God is trying to tell us. So as we approach the Song of Songs, first and foremost, we want to see God. Yes, there is marital love in the air, but this isn't a song given to us merely so that we can have a better marriage, so that we can have purity in our lives. Although I hope you'll be challenged regarding these things, but there's more than that. And so as we come to this song, as I speak to you over these next five weeks, I hope that your understanding of God deepens and I hope that your love for him grows as you understand his love for you. With all those things aside, and that, that was just a preliminary, this is how I'm coming at this text because I think that's how we should approach all of scripture. I want you to step back. You can close your eyes if you want here. And what, I want you to consider what it would have been like for Adam and Eve in the garden as one man and one woman in marriage before sin ever entered. What would that have been like? Before they ever disobeyed God, you have one man, one woman in perfection, enjoying each other with no shame, Delighting in each other. Literally the perfect marriage. This song, I believe, gives us a glimpse into that marital union. It's not a song about Adam and Eve. I think this is probably the closest we're going to get to, to taste that here on earth. It even, as we go through the song, and you'll, you'll, you'll see that as we, it even takes place in a garden, just like Adam and Eve. In this song, here are some of the key words that you'll see in the emotion of this song, passion, romance, delight, intimacy, kisses. Love, beauty, all these things are on display. It's what each of us want in a marriage. That's what I want in a marriage, in my marriage. But maybe to you, you hear those words and it sort of feels like a dream. Maybe you had aspirations of your marriage being that way. But that's not how it turned out. Marriage has been a struggle and you're at the point where you're, you're not sure that, it'll, that it will ever happen. Many marriages today 
statistically speaking, I think we could agree with this, are just plodding along. Those words that I mentioned, they're not part of the feeling of our marriages. It's not like we wake up every day and think, boy, I'm, I'm, living, I'm living Song of Songs. I'm living this fairy tale. It's a struggle. And so you might be hanging into your marriage, hanging on to it because of your kids. Or maybe your finances. For the security that comes with being married. For the image that you're portraying to others. But deep down, your marriage is hurting, is struggling. And we, since the fall of man, since Adam and Eve disobeyed God, we experience brokenness, not just as individuals, but in our relationships. And that affects our marriages. The divorce rate in our country, that's just not, you know, because, oh, well, two people couldn't get along. I mean, that's, we get that. But that's the result of sin. That's one of the effects of sin is the brokenness that comes in our relationships. And the remedy is not to get a divorce or to have an affair. And the alternative to those things is not marital misery. Well, then I'm just stuck in misery for the rest of my life. I think a Song of Songs gives us a different picture. Maybe today, though, you are not married. And actually, you keep marriage at a distance because of those very reasons. I don't, I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to deal with that. We keep it at a distance. And, and really, our culture, what does our culture tell us? There's no need to get married. You, you can have some of the enjoyments of marriage physically without ever making that commitment It's okay to live with someone that's not your spouse. Have different sexual partners. That's the cultural message. But don't believe this lie. And it is a lie. So what's the remedy? The remedy is to refocus our marriages and our understanding of marriage around a biblical perspective of love and intimacy. In some ways... It almost feels like this this is a sermon series long overdue for God's people in our culture. Because our culture is screaming at us. Cultural perspectives of love and marriage and intimacy that are as far from the truth as you can get. I want to say this morning that it is possible to experience Experience intimate, passionate love in marriage. That is a possibility. There is hope when we come to this song. If you're single, it's worth it and it's possible to save yourself in purity until marriage. That's a possibility that can happen. If you're single, it is possible to live a joy-filled life as a single person. 
Say, how, how are all these things possible? How can a marriage look like what we're going to see here? How can I experience this selfless, unconditional love that's being depicted in this song? What if I never find someone? What if it never works out this way? Well, my prayer in this series is that this series will meet you wherever you're at on several fronts. One, that it would be a help to you if you are married. I pray that it would be a help to those who are maybe soon or one day looking to marriage, what a marriage should be like. And I do pray, we'll we'll deal a whole sermon on, on singleness in this series, that this will be a help to those that will never marry. So those would be my, my three desires here. And, and the purpose of this series is to give you a picture of what your marriage can be, what you have to look forward to in marriage, and to help you see that God's love for you as a believer in Christ is the ultimate love that you can experience. This love What Christ has done for us at the cross as believers is the love, the foundational love for your life as a single, for your life as a married couple. And it brings joy and satisfaction no matter what your future holds. So I want to ask a few questions here as we we really uh, just lay a foundation for the next four weeks going forward, and, and ask some very uh, basic questions as it relates to Bible study. What are questions we ask in our study of God's Word? When we come to Scripture, how am I approaching Scripture and what am I asking? Now, how should we approach this book? Some people would say that this book is not suitable for children because the passionate romantic language that's used is not maybe appropriate for public discussion. However, I would ask the question, is God a God of impurity? Hopefully in your mind you're saying no. Who authors this book? In fact, Paul says in 2 Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for us which includes here the Song of Songs. Song of Songs is a perfectly appropriate love story given to us by God. This is far from your average romance novel that you pick up at the store, not what you're reading here. It demonstrates for us God's design in marriage. He created us with the capacity to love and to express intimacy, and it really does push back against cultural views of dating, marriage, sex, and sexuality. We'll see that as we go through. It gives us a biblical worldview related to the most intimate, earthly relationship we can experience. So when God authors the Song of Songs, he's not blushing. He wrote it for our good. He wrote it for us to understand And so we approach this book with excitement because God has not left us blind in these areas. He's not just given us over to culture 
to do and say what culture wants to teach us. And we approach this book with hope. The sex and marriage our culture is selling us and that your kids are hearing, believe me, your kids are hearing it. And at a younger and younger age, These things, though, feel, leave us feeling cheated, lead, lead, leave us feeling used, leave us feeling lied to, which is why it continues to progress, because it never is satisfied. And far too often, we, even as Christians, have settled for the scraps of love when God has prepared a feast of love for us. Marriage is good. Our culture says otherwise. Marriage is designed by God with one man and one woman in mind. And in this one man, one woman relationship, we see that sexual intimacy is good and pleasing to the Lord. It's for our pleasure and it's for God's glory. And so I don't know about you, but I want to hear what the Creator says about marriage, love, sex, intimacy. And so yes, this is a passionate book, but it's not an inappropriate book. One author, Daniel Estes, he says this, it does, regarding Song of Songs, it does not state principles in logical arguments. Instead, it assembles a number of songs or poems. It causes us to feel as if we were with Solomon and the Shulamite, that is, his beloved. Not merely watching them, as we read, and this is, I hope, our, our, what comes out in this series, we share their feelings. So I want us to capture the emotion. And, and, and so even as we go through the series, we're not going to break things down into outlines. I think that would just strip away and, and sort of make it cold and calculated. I want us to feel the emotion that they have as we work through this song in big chunks, piece by piece, over the next several weeks. So we asked, how do we approach this book? I think we approach it knowing that it's God's word that it is appropriate to read, to discuss, and it is, it is what he wants us to hear. So who wrote this book? Many of you know this, this book as, or this song, as uh, the Song of Solomon. And in fact, in chapter 1, in verse number 1, we are given who this author is, Solomon's Song of Songs. Now, what's sad about this is that although King Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, give wisdom given by God, Solomon was a fallen man. And even though he authors this very intimate book between him and his beloved, somewhere along the line, he left that wisdom. In fact, Second, or First Kings 11.3 says that he had many, many wives. And that leaves us with many questions. How, how did things go terribly wrong for him? What happened that 
that, that he abandoned this. Or perhaps maybe another possibility is he writes this at the end of his life, reflecting back on all the regrets that he had and what he should have been. But I do want us to remember that he is the one who wrote several Proverbs as well, warning against the adulterous woman. This is a man that I think experienced what we're reading in the Song of Songs, but also struggled at the same time in being tempted in other ways that would completely mar the picture that we're reading here. And so we glean from the wisdom of Solomon in this song, both his positive wisdom and his negative experiences that he went through. But Solomon is our author. Obviously, this is a song of songs. So what kind of genre are we talking about? Again, this is not epistle. It's not a historical work. It's not a book of prophecy, but this is song. This is poetry. 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse number 32. Think about this. Speaking of Solomon, he also spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. That's a lot of wisdom. And so when it talks about the song of songs, you have 1,005 songs. This is the greatest of songs. This is the the best of them. This is the one that that God saw fit to include in his word. And it is a poetic love letter written back and forth between a bride and her husband. And we get this glimpse into the relationship. Love is the theme. There's 117 verses in the Song of Songs. Again, verses are not inspired by God. They were divided up by a man later on. 117 verses, though, if we think about it like that. 60 of them, so over half, speak in some way or depict in some way the idea of love. So love is the theme. It's it's an uh, intimate book. Now, most conservative readings of this book have three primary voices. You have the beloved, who is the woman. You have the lover, who is Solomon, And you have the maidens, the daughters of Jerusalem. Uh, There is some debate on who's speaking at what part. Um, And that makes it a little bit difficult to read some of it. But this is a back and forth between primarily the beloved and her lover. And this song, as we look at it, and I'm going to read chapter 1 for us here in a moment. But it's going to demonstrate to us the greatest heights of love And the biggest relational frustrations that we would attribute to sin. Where does sin cause friction in our relationships? Well, I think we're going to see that in this song. This song gives us a picture, though, of ultimate love. There are moments of tension in the intimacy. And really, I think an appropriate way to read this song, this song starting in chapter 1, Uh, moving through chapter 8, moves from a betrothal period, what it seems like an engagement period, to the marriage being consummated and looking ahead. So let me read here chapter number 1, and and we're not going to jump into chapter 1. We'll we'll do that next week. But I just want to introduce you to the song and its characters 
and the back and forth that's taking place so you can see the emotional elements that are happening in this song. I am reading, uh, I'll, I'll be reading throughout the series from the NIV. I think it does a really good job of, of, of just the flow of it uh, and the readability. So, so keep that in mind uh, as we read. Chapter number one, though, says this. This is Solomon's Song of Songs. Maybe your, maybe your uh, Bible has titles for who is speaking, um, but maybe not. So here the beloved, the woman is speaking. She says, let me kiss him with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Her friends, the maidens, respond. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. The beloved speaks again. How right they are to adore you. Dark am I, yet lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I have neglected. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? The friends again respond, If you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherd. Here is the man, the lover. Verse 9, I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck and strings of jewels. The friends chime in again. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. Here's the beloved. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My lover is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My lover is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. The lover responds, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. The beloved replies, How handsome you are, my lover. Oh, how charming. Our bed is verdant. The beams of our house are cedars, our rafters, our firs. It gives you a little bit of taste of the flow of this song and some of the things that we will be looking at. And again, we'll, we'll look at some of that thing, those things and what those pictures are saying uh, starting next week. But you can feel the emotion in this song. There is a beloved and a lover that are going back and forth. And then there's friends that are watching and looking and learning and anticipating the love that they have with one another. So we've talked about the author and the plot and, and the theme and those things. But a, a big question in the Song of Songs is how do we interpret this book? 
Someone said to me this week, how are you going to approach this book? I read my study Bible and there are four different ways that people approach it. I didn't ask them what the four were. But generally, it comes down to this. Is this literally talking about a husband and wife, or is this an allegorical depiction of God's love for his people and Christ's love for his church? Well, I do think, as I've been talking about, this is a love song between a husband and wife at different stages of their relationship. So it's not just simply an allegory that Solomon writes about a man and a woman, but it's really only talking about God and his people. So I don't think we just spiritualize the song. However, I do think there are appropriate layers of interpretation as we come to this song. So we always consider the whole of Scripture whenever we're looking at a particular passage or a particular book. The Bible is a spiritual book. It speaks to our physical life, but it also speaks to our spiritual life. This is the fullness of a person, and we need to keep that in mind. So with that in mind, I do think the goal of this book, being that we're both physical and spiritual beings, is not just to improve your marriage, to deal with the physical things here on earth. I don't think that's the ultimate goal. I think all of Scripture, again, if we're seeing that we are seeing who God is, that His glory is being displayed to us through His Word, has to be that we would grow spiritually through this as well. And knowing that we are eternally spiritual beings, I think that's probably even foremost in mind. One key in interpreting this song, though, is understanding that Solomon is a type of Christ. Uh, He's the king of Israel. He's the son of King David, so he's the third king of Israel. Um, He's known as the king of peace or the king of Salem. Forty years of peace Israel experienced in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 42. Matthew gives us this, believes on the screen for us, um, behind me. Matthew 12, 42, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came with the, from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Notice what it says, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus has come. But Solomon is pointing us to the Messiah. He gives us a glimpse of what the Messiah would be like, even though it's an imperfect taste. And so we do appropriately make the connection between Solomon and Christ and between what we see here in marriage, between what we read in Ephesians, Christ and the church. As a Christian, we understand what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, That as the husband loves his wife and the wife submits to her husband, this is a mystery, but ultimately it's speaking about Christ and the church. We can't just remove that from our understanding. And so while this is a, a love song between a man and a woman, it pictures another love, a spiritual love. For the Old Testament readers, there is God's love for his people. Turn with me real briefly to Isaiah chapter 54. Uh, It's page number 614. 
Isaiah 54 and verses 4 through 8. So did God's people, Israel, understand this spiritual relationship of God being a husband and them being a wife, a bride? Well, yes, absolutely they did. Isaiah 54 and verse number 4, Isaiah writes this, Do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. Verse 5, for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He, called the God, he is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife, deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. I'll stop there. The Israelites understood God, as their husband, spiritually speaking, they were the wife, this marriage relationship in view. We read in Ephesians 5, God's love for his people shown as the husband, the bridegroom awaiting his bride, the church. Revelation 19 spells that out where it talks about the marriage supper of the lamb, where the bridegroom is waiting for the bride. So I want us to consider two things here as we think about those truths, those realities, that that this is a picture of a spiritual love. Number one is this. Our earthly marital love is rooted in the love of God. There is no love, no true love, outside of God's love. So the love we experience in marriage must, first and foremost, be rooted in the love of God through Jesus Christ. And reclaiming marital love, reclaiming marital intimacy is only possible when we understand God's love for his people. Secondly, God's most intimate love for us is seen in Jesus Christ. We sang a song, the second song we sang, that laid out what Christ went through on the cross and the chorus said, by this we know love, that he, that he laid down his life. Jesus gave himself in life and death for others. And though he was God, he did not hold on to that status. Instead, he became human and he sacrificed his life for his people. Romans 5.8 says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Not when we had cleaned ourselves up. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 10. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation that is the satisfying atonement for our sin. So whether we're single, whether we're married, this picture of Christ and his sacrifice for us is the ultimate love we can experience. I I can't emphasize that enough. Missing out on marriage is not missing out on love. In fact, many who are married live some of the most lonely, unsatisfied lives here on earth. 
And if your focus is just on getting married to experience love, you're missing the big picture. If your focus is on having a great marriage, which I, I would say, yes, that's what we want, but we're, if we're skipping that step of understanding God's love for us in Christ, we're going to be left feeling unsatisfied because ultimate love is experiencing a relationship with the ultimate lover, Jesus Christ. And the love between Christ and his church is pictured in the marital relationship between a husband and wife. So how we're going to approach this book, well, I'm very comfortable approaching this book with a literal marital intimacy in view with God's love for his people or Christ's love for his church being the underlying layer, interpretational layer upon which any true love is built. So in this marital series, in this series of love, we're not going to stray far from the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't. It's the foundation of our lives. And so I hope that answers the question too, why is marriage important? Because if, if marriage is a picture between Christ and his church, then it's much more than our temporal enjoyment. Marriage is not just about ourselves and what we can experience, although God allows us to experience delightful things within marriage. We need to understand this, though, that the love we show to our spouses is a means of, the, of preaching the gospel to this world. Your marriage, if you're married, is a means of preaching the gospel to those around you. It's a means of revealing God's love for his people. And that's an awesome privilege and an awesome responsibility. But think about it like this. We can display the beauty of the gospel in our marriages without sometimes ever speaking a word about the gospel in the way that we love one another, interact with one another. We speak that gospel to our kids in the home, to our neighbors, to other family members perhaps. When we allow the gospel of Jesus to penetrate us daily, his love will begin to flow through us in ways we never thought possible. And, and you think about what is the first fruit of the Spirit that God's doing in our life? Galatians 5, love. Our spouse should be the first beneficiaries of that spiritual fruit. Too often we're concerned about showing love to everybody else outside and our families and our spouse knows that that's just a game. That's just a charade. And it's because the love of God is not living and flowing through us. One final thing, and we'll wrap up. But I, I, We've already touched on this a little bit, but I want to emphasize it just a little bit further. The Song of Songs is a book of human emotions. Women... You probably heard the words that I read in chapter one a lot differently than your husband. You probably picked up a little bit faster on those emotions. But a woman didn't write this song. A man wrote this song. And men, I want to talk to you just for a minute as a man 
Because I think too often we, we use this excuse in our marriage relationships or in any, even friendships. I'm just not very emotional. I'm just not really an emotional, affectionate person. I won't, I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've ever thought that. But, but I know at times I've thought that. And we use this as an excuse to not express emotion with others, especially our spouse. But we need to recognize that that's an excuse and it's not true. We are emotional beings. Anybody get excited when it's deer hunting season? Get all emotional? Sports time? Whatever your hobby is? We get all emotional. We spend all kinds of time and resources and finances to, to do these things we're excited about. And then on the other hand, when it comes to our marriages, we say, I'm just not really an emotional person. Our relationships in life are not relationships built on cold, hard facts. There are emotional relationships intertwined Emotional feelings intertwined, I should say. And we may not always know how to express our emotions, but it doesn't mean they don't exist. Now look, emotions will be expressed differently. I'm not saying everybody and all the guys in here, hey, we need to be poets. We need to write songs. We could, we, we, we could attempt to. I'm not saying we're all wired the same way. We're not all a Solomon. But just saying I'm not an affectionate person, I'm not very emotional, is an invalid excuse to not pursue your wife. When it comes to our spouse, we should fight against the cultural stereotypes that strip men of their responsibilities to pursue their wives with biblical affection. Do you think Christ had an emotional, affectionate love? Do you think he does even now for his church? When we read those things in Ephesians, Christ gave himself. Do you think it was like, oh, I guess I gotta do this? No, this was a, Jesus was someone that compassion flowed from him. Tears flowed from him. Emotion flowed from him. And as a husband, as a man, if you're ever married, if that's our model, we need to work at allowing emotion to flow through us as well. And God has called us to love our wives. We need to learn how to demonstrate your love. So, so guys, you're going to be challenged in this series to express yourself in love in some emotional ways. I just ask this, be receptive to it. Be prayerful about it. Christ expresses his love for you with emotion and we as his people are encouraged in that. That lifts us up. When we reflect on the, the love that we receive from Christ on a daily basis, that oftentimes gives us energy and fuel and your wives are the same in your marital relationship. And you say, well, why am I picking on husbands? Because 
Husbands, you do set the tone in your marriage. Doesn't mean other sin elements, relational dynamics can't come in, but you truly do set the tone in your marriage. You're the leader, and too many husbands neglect that responsibility and to be what God has called them to be. So, so the Song of Songs, we're brought in here from husbands, okay, take a deep breath, is a challenge to us in some very practical ways. It's not a list of do's and don'ts, but we all have this desire to be loved this, and this capacity to love, but it's a broken desire and it's a broken capacity But if we're thinking of love without thinking of the love of Jesus and giving his life for our sin to bring us into relationship with God, we're missing out on love. You could have the best marital relationship, but if it's without an understanding of the love of God displayed in the cross of Jesus, you're missing out. Not just here on earth, but you will miss out for eternity And it falls short of God's design. So the Song of Songs pointing us to a greater love, I think is going to stir our actions. It's going to stir our words in our relationships. But I I pray that it stirs our hearts to enjoy God's love for us. And then as we are resting in his love, we are pouring ourselves out in love for others. So, So over the next few weeks, I would encourage you to read through this song. Just read through it. It's not very long. Get the general flow of it. Next week, we plan on looking at chapter one and two, but, but I hope this gives us a, a good foundation to understand the song, but to see that this song is lifting high the glory of God and the love that God has for us as his people